You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So if you would stand with me as we read our text, John chapter 4 and verse 35. Jesus speaking here, he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for your goodness and this opportunity to preach your word. I do pray that you'd be honored and glorified in it. I pray that you'd prepare the hearts and minds of the hearers, that they'd be receptive for what you have for us this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So we uh, see here, uh, my title tonight is a question that I want you to seriously consider, and that question is, will you answer the call to the harvest? Will you answer the call to the harvest? And where there's a harvest, seed must first have been sown. Uh, You don't get a harvest without sowing seeds. And Jesus said, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. Or, or unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. He also said in John 4 and verse 38, a, a couple verses later and then ours, he said, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. Now, no one person can take credit for the work that God is doing in the world. No one person can take credit for the work that God is doing through his churches. And no one person can even take credit for uh, the gospel going to any specific region. Uh, I often share this, forgot earlier, so I'll share it now. They say in Papua New Guinea there are 1,000 different ethnic groups. 1,000 different ethnic groups. At least half of those have not heard the gospel once. So there's a great need for gospel uh, preaching in Papua New Guinea. But even if I were to take the gospel to one of those locations where the gospel had never gone before, I cannot take credit for the gospel reaching that place, not solely. Uh, All of us that have entered into this harvest, all of us that are laborers in this, have entered into other men's labors. We have to give credit all the way back to when Jesus Christ started in the first church and as it falls all the way down. Uh, So none, none of us can take credit for the start of anything. All of us have simply entered and to other men's labors. And those that have not entered, I'd ask you, how can we do anything less than enter into the labors of those that have gone before us? How can we do anything less than to answer this call into the harvest? Jesus indicated that there was a twofold danger to the harvest. The first, as we see in our text, is uh, that of being short-sighted, of thinking that there is plenty of time to bring in the harvest. And the second is that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The question then is, how are we going to meet this great need? How are we going to meet that challenge? Our first point tonight, first thing we have to do is to lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. We lift up our eyes from vain pursuits. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4 says, Vanity of vanities, uh, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation 
passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. He gives here uh, not a very pretty picture, not something most of us like to uh, look at, but uh, he says, uh, and, and as he's speaking this, you, you have to realize he's talking about the, in the realm of the world, of the world's views, of the worldly pursuits here. He says, uh, all that you do for the world is vanity. Uh, and if your life is nothing but living for the world, if it's nothing but uh, the vain ambitions or vain pursuits that we're going to look at uh, briefly, it, then your life is nothing but vanity. And and in the scheme, grand scheme of the world, uh, at the end of your life, you pass away and the world continues to go on without you. Others come up behind you. There will be those that will miss you. There will be those that will recognize and be thankful. But in the grand scheme of things... It doesn't matter much, especially when it's in realm of what the world has told us we need to get accomplished. And so we need to lift up our eyes from these vain pursuits. I mean, lift up our eyes from the vain pursuit of personal ambition. You know, First Corinthians chapter six and verse twenty says, "For you are bought with a price; therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's." Having been bought with that high and dear precious price, and that price being the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, having been bought with that precious high dear price, how could we do anything less than to live for God, than to live to glorify God with all that is within us? He says, uh, hey, for you are bought with a price. You know now you've been bought with this price. If you've called on Christ as Savior, you've been bought with a price. You no longer belong to yourselves. You are God's. Therefore, glorify Him. As we uh, will see later on in the, in the sermon, how, how we can best glorify God in the world around us today. So when you lift up our eyes from uh, the vain pursuit of personal ambitions, the, uh, that self-gratification Lift up our eyes from that and seek to glorify God. Seek to lift him up before all men. We need to lift up our eyes from uh, the vain pursuit of uh, wealth. As you look around the world and you, you study different cultures, uh, there are different sins that are more pre predominant in those different cultures. However, this, the vain pursuit, the sin of the vain pursuit of wealth, this love of money, is pretty much universal. It's pretty much everywhere. And we know Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. And it doesn't say labor not, period. We are to labor. We are to work. But the cause or the reasons for our labor is not that we would gain riches to ourselves. It's not that we would be rich. He says, if that's your thinking, cease from thine own wisdom. And John chapter 6 and verse 27, uh, Jesus says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, he's again speaking uh, towards vanities. Uh, he says, uh, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And so we're looking at this vain pursuit of wealth. He says, he that loveth silver, if you love something, you pursue it. And so he that loveth or he that pursues silver or money, the financial side of wealth here, uh, he, he that loveth these things, who pursues it, will not be satisfied with it. It doesn't matter how much money you gain to yourself, there's no satisfaction to be found in it. 
And he goes even further into it. He kind of expounds his, maybe you try to excuse yourself in this. You say it's not just silver. It's not the financial side of things that you seek. He says, so, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. So uh, maybe it's the, the different thing, one specific thing, or all the different things that this world has tried to uh, tell you that you need to value, you need to gain unto yourselves. It says, hey, look at these things. Uh, if, it, if those are your pursuits, that's your love. You have to gain all the, the new shiny things to yourself. He says, no matter how much of an increase of those things you get, there's no satisfaction. This is also vanity. And we need to be careful not to let wealth or the things that this world values to become our focus because they will not satisfy in the end. The only way for a child of God to have satisfaction in this world or really the only way for anyone to have true satisfaction in this world is through a life of service to God. And to lift up our eyes from the vain pursuit of wealth and uh, pull our attention to the things that God is calling us to. So when you lift up our eyes uh, from these vain pursuits, when you lift up our eyes from uh, the cares of this life. As we think of the cares of this life, they're, they're not necessarily sins. They're not all wrong in of themselves. Uh, uh, but uh, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, he says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunk, or drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. You know, every one of us have responsibilities. Uh, there are many God-given responsibilities. I think uh, primarily of a man in the regards to his family as God has uh, given the responsibility to care for, his, for the family to that man. And the Bible says that he that provideth not for his own, especially those of his own household, is worse than an infidel. You know, God looks very poorly on a man who does not seek to provide for his own or for his family. And so we have these responsibilities. We have these, uh, we would say, cares of this life. These things that we, have give, we give our attention to in this world that are important things. They're not sinful. It's not wrong for us to give attention to. However, we need to be careful never to allow those things to become an excuse for us to not answer the call of God. Uh, uh, we know if God lays a call in your life, he's called you to do something, he will be sure to make sure that none of the other responsibilities that he has given you go wanting. And we may, uh, it may not be taken care of in the way that we think that they should be, but we can be sure that they will not go wanting. We, will be, we can be sure that God will be, uh, make sure that they are taken care of. And so we cannot allow those things to become an excuse for us. Or else we would be, uh, as those in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke 9, as Jesus is uh, standing there, he's calling for disciples, he's calling for followers, he's calling for uh, fishers of men. Essentially, he's calling for laborers in this harvest. And uh, there are several who come to him and they say, Lord, I'll follow you. I, I'll do it, but uh, suffer me first to do this. Or, or suffer me first to do that. They, they all had cares of this life. They, those things that they mentioned were not sinful. They were not wrong to give attention or care to. However, they were not willing to allow those things to be placed into God's hands. They were not willing to lift up their eyes from the cares of this life and, and, and to truly follow God, to truly be one of his disciples. And the Bible never records for us a time where any of those men actually ended up actually following that call that they said they would give to. Uh, and in fact, Jesus said of them that, that those were not the types of disciples, those were not the followers that he was looking for. And uh, it's very likely that if we have that mindset, we have that attitude of, I'll follow you, but suffer me first, 
Uh, once that thing is taken care of, there'll be another care of this life that will pop up, I guarantee you. And so then you, if you keep this mindset, you keep this attitude, you'll be like, I'm still planning on following you, but now I have to take care of this. Once this is done, I'll follow. And then that, when that one's done, another pops up. It will continue on. So uh, we must lift up our eyes from the cares of this life, lift up our eyes, allow God to take care of those things and follow him. So we need to lift up our eyes from the temporal to the eternal. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I heard the saying probably uh, my whole childhood, and I believe I, excuse me, heard from my uh, dad and my aunts that uh, they heard it growing up as well, but this uh, challenge essentially to live with eternity's values and view. Live with eternity's values and view. Essentially, uh, make your focus be on that which has value not here on earth, but for eternity. Uh, we need to uh, lift up our eyes from that temporal, from that, that which is here and now, that which is right in front of us, whether it, whether it be vain pursuits, whether it be uh, sinful things, whether it be the, per, the, uh, the cares of this life, uh, whatever it is that is uh, pulling our attention to the, the temporal, the, the here and now, the, the world is trying to say, uh, don't forget about these things. As we lift up our eyes from that, we give our attention to that which God has called our attention to. Give our attention to uh, that eternal, that, that which matters for eternity. Yeah. And also, uh, we need to lift up our eyes from the failures of others. As, uh, especially in this size crowd, it's very possible there'd be some here who had somebody they, they looked up to, somebody they admired, who had, uh, whether a full-time capacity or not, but they had answered God's call for their lives. They were faithfully serving Him, and at some point along the way, they fall, they, they fail, they fall into a sin and they no longer are serving the Lord. And uh, some would be tempted to look to that and say, well, if they couldn't do it, there's no point in me trying. There's no way I could do it. That's not what uh, God is calling us to. Right. In Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, right. the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We cannot excuse ourselves or be discouraged or deterred uh, by those that do fall, those that are not able to stay faithful. But we cannot be deterred by the failures of others. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul said that he and others who were faithful were set to be an example for us. We are to look to faithful men. Right. However, when or if some of those fail, we have a much higher example to look to. Amen. So we lift up our eyes and look to the Master. You know, he's never failed in anything that he ever did, nor has he failed any of his followers in the past, and nor will he fail any who follow him and serve him out of a faithful heart. Amen. We lift up our eyes from the failures of others and look to the master. And so secondly tonight, look on the fields. We lift up our eyes, and then as we lift up our eyes, we need to bring in this new focus, this new attention. If we uh, fail to bring in the new focus, we will uh, likely have our eyes pulled back down to the things that we uh, were looking at before. As we need to bring in this new focus, as we look on the fields, we see that the harvest is great. Uh, there, they say there are over uh, 7.8 billion people in the world. 
And we're gonna, I'm going to give you some statistics here. Some of them are a bit outdated. and Some of it was gathered 10 years ago, but it still gives us a, an idea, a picture of what's going on in the world around us. And I want you to uh, notice, as I point out, how uh, in each region of the world, how many countries still don't have a single Baptist missionary. And they say uh, in 1950, there were 100,000 missionaries around the world. Since 1950, we have lost 1,000 of those 100,000 a year. We lose 1,000 a year, and only 50 take 1,000's place. In 2010, they say they were approximately down to 29,000 missionaries worldwide. And that's various denominations. That's not just Baptists. Of Baptists or independent Baptists, there are only about 5,000 missionaries. And then the, in Africa, the population is uh, 1.2 uh, plus billion people. They have 56 countries, 401 independent Baptist missionaries. To the 50, or of the 56 countries, there are still 20 without one. In uh, the Americas, not counting the United States, uh, population is about 672 million. Uh, there are 47 countries, 100, or sorry, 1,071 Baptist missionaries, a little bit better, but still not great. And then uh, of the 47 countries, still seven without one. And uh, then in the Asia or the Pacific region, population of 4.4 plus billion, probably closer to 4.5 now. Um, population uh, uh, 4.5 billion people, 43 countries, 11 of those 43 still without one, only 565 Baptist missionaries. In Europe, 741 million people, 48 countries, 577 Baptist missionaries, still 15 of the 48 countries without one. And then Middle East, the, the worst statistics of them all, population 545 million people, 545 million people, 28 countries, only 14 Baptist missionaries, 19 of the 28 countries still without one. The need is great. Yes, it is. The harvest is great. The field is great. Yes, sir. The laborers are few. And time is short. And we see, the Bible says that the fields are white already to harvest. There will never be a more appropriate or important time than now to be involved in world missions. There will never be a more important time than now to answer this call into the harvest. The, the task will not grow easier over time, from now on, in fact, it will only get more difficult. It will only get worse as the condition of the world grows worse and the hearts of men, the Bible says, will wax worse and worse. As that happens, the, the world becomes more desperate as the hearts of men grow harder. It will not grow easier over time. Now is the time to get involved in world missions. Now is the time to answer this call into the harvest. Now is the time to be that faithful witness for the Savior. Now is the time, as was mentioned earlier, to take the name of Jesus with you, to be faithful in that. Thirdly, tonight I challenge you to pray 
for laborers. Pray for laborers. We need to pray for planters and waterers as both are necessary to the gospel. As, as we mentioned, the, the, uh, in order for there to be a harvest, seed must be sown. And we know that that seed that is sown is the word of God, according to Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. As, as it says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And that seed is sown every time that his word is truthfully preached or shared or spoken in a testimony. It is planted and then it is watered by further ministry, by patient teaching and preaching and prayer. And we need to pray for those that pray for laborers in this category. As I challenge you to pray for laborers, I challenge you to pray for those that have already entered into this harvest. Pray for those that are already faithful laborers. And then even more so, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth more laborers into the harvest. The harvest is great, but laborers are few. I also challenge you, as as we're praying for laborers, to pray for builders. Uh, Pray for uh, these workmen who will use their gifts to build up a body of Christ. We need to pray for pastors and other, other teachers and preachers and counselors, workers, musicians, singers, uh, just servants, those who will enable and help a pastor uh, as he seeks to lead uh, a church. All of those would be builders, those that seek to, to build up a body of Christ and then also uh, those that will build individual people. We need uh, those that will uh, bring in a, a new believer and seek to establish them in Christ. As Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We need those that will uh, seek to build individuals, those that will, that will seek to establish them in Christ, those that will establish them in the faith that they would be built up in Christ, that they would truly know the truth and that they would then be able to do others also, uh, teach others also as Paul challenged Timothy uh, to teach faithful men who will be able to do Likewise, we need these builders. And then as they build individuals, then we will see uh, them also building God's churches. As people are built in Christ and and established in him, in the faith, then uh, God's churches will be built uh, stronger in him. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then Ephesians 4 and verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. We need to be praying for these builders, praying for these laborers, and praying that the Lord of the harvest would send forth more, that more uh, young men and women would answer this call, that they would seek to build up a body, that they wouldn't uh, just be those that come and sit in a pew, that they wouldn't just be those that uh, listen to preaching and go home and maybe maybe reference it once in a while. We need those that will be faithful in this work. And so uh, fourthly and finally tonight, I challenge you to enter the harvest. Enter the harvest. We need to be uh, winning souls at home and abroad at the same time. In uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we have all been called to be these witnesses. As we look at this call into the harvest, it is a call. He is asking, he's calling for people to come in, but this call is not just an asking to come in, it is actually also a command to go out. 
It is a, a command to be this witness. As he said, ye shall be witnesses. He didn't say you might be or you could be. He said you shall be. So be witnesses for him. And as we are these witnesses, we're seeking to win souls all around the world. Uh, soul winning needs to be a priority and not just a matter of convenience. Uh, Hudson Taylor is a, a pioneer missionary to China. Uh, uh, he once told the story of a friendly young Chinese man who uh, went by the name of Peter. And uh, Peter was uh, acquainted with the gospel. He knew uh, the message that Hudson Taylor preached. He was, they were uh, friendly, if not friends. Uh, so he, he knows what's being preached, that he's never yet called on Christ as Savior himself. And as they're traveling together now, they're on a small or a native junket, or it's a, a flat bottom sailing vessel. Um, and uh, as they're near, they're traveling from Shanghai to Ningpo, and as they're nearing the port where Hudson Taylor's planning on preaching, he goes into a small cabin uh, to look over his material and the tracks that he's planning on passing out. And uh, so as he's in there, he hears a splash and a cry as if something or someone went overboard. And so he leaves the cabin, goes outside to inspect. And as he's out there, he doesn't see Peter anywhere. And so he uh, calls out. There's no response. He asks the other men on the boat uh, if they know what happened or they know where Peter is. And they seem completely unconcerned. And they say, yeah, he went down over there. And so Hudson Taylor goes over to the spot. He again calls out and he's looking. He doesn't see uh, Peter anywhere. There's no response. And so uh, and then he spies some fishermen a little ways off. And uh, they're fishing with a dragnet, and he uh, calls for them to—he calls for them to come and to drag the spot, and he's shouting to them that a man is drowning, and their response is, "They have been," meaning, it is not convenient. He shouts back to them. He says, "Don't talk of convenience. Quickly come, or it will be too late." And they say, "We are busy fishing." He said, "Never mind your fishing. Come only at once, and I will pay you well." They say, how much will you pay us? He says, five dollars only, uh, come without delay. He says, too little. We will not come for less than thirty dollars. Hudson Taylor goes on to explain that he doesn't have thirty dollars, but he'll give them everything that he has, which was about fourteen dollars, and they decide that they would do it for fourteen dollars. And so they come over, and on the first passing of the net, they... Uh, on the spot where they believed he went down, they bring up Peter's body. Uh, however, all of Hudson Taylor's efforts to bring those men over and to revive Peter were in vain, or were for naught, and Peter was already dead. And too much time had been lost, all because those who might have easily saved the man's life were indifferent. They simply uh, did not care enough. Uh, Hudson Taylor related this story, as I said, to a, a large audience of Christians who were shocked by the indifference and the selfishness of these heathen fishermen, as many of us uh, would be. However, Mr. Taylor had another point to make in sharing the story. He goes on to say, uh, Is the body then of so much more value than the soul? We condemn those heathen fishermen. We say that they were guilty of the man's death because they could easily have saved him and did not do it. But what of the millions whom we leave to perish and that eternally? What of the plain command, go ye, into, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Now this story challenges us that convenience is not the word to be used when it comes to winning souls. 
We must uh, be faithful in it. If, we, if we're doing it when, uh, if our plan is to do it when it's convenient, we could easily find ourselves saying at that time that we are too busy. It's been suggested that what we really mean when we say that we are busy is that either A, we don't see the need, or B, we don't care about the need. And having had this need presented and knowing uh, as believers, as, especially those of us that have realized our need for the Savior, and uh, we know that all are in that same condition that we were before Christ, we know their great need and that without uh, uh, being one to Christ, the, uh, they will spend an eternity in hell separated from God, knowing their great need, seeing this need, and then if we are not faithful to be an answer to that need, if we are not faithful to be soul winners, to be witnesses, then our testimony truly is that we do not care about the need. It's a very sad testimony for a child of God to have. We must be faithful in this. We must make this our highest priority. And as we mentioned earlier, as uh, born-again believers, and having been bought with the price, no longer belonging to ourselves, and we are to glorify God with our bodies and our spirits, this is the primary way in which we glorify God, is by being this faithful witness, by being a laborer in his harvest, by bringing others to him. And as we do that and we lift him up before all men, he shall be glorified. So we must be faithful in this. This is the primary way in which we glorify God. As I said, we are to reach those all around the world, and we do this by supporting those who go to regions beyond our own reach. As the Bible says, working with your hands that you may have to give. And Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. All of us like getting a good news, glad tidings. Um, we know then that there is no better tidings that could be brought, sent, or shared than the tidings of the Savior of the world. He who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfectly holy and sinless life, who uh, died for the sins of man, and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, all so that man might be redeemed to God. There are no better tidings than that. So all of us then must uh, be willing to pray Isaiah's prayer, as he says, here am I, send me. And God is still asking the same question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Yep. So what is your response to that question? As I said, uh, uh, as we're looking at this harvest, this call into the harvest, this being that faithful witness, my main focus and for us, for my wife and I, our family, is to be on a foreign field. That is what God has called us to do. However, that is not the sole focus of this harvest. This harvest is all around us. It is everyone who is not yet called on Christ as Savior. So then we must all, at the very least, be willing to say, Lord, here am I, send me to my neighbor, send me to my coworker, send me to that friend that I had that has not yet called on Christ as Savior. Here am I, send me. If God has called you to a foreign field, then you should be willing to say, Lord, here am I, send me, I'll go. But maybe God hasn't called you. I'm not saying he has, I'm not saying he hasn't. But if he has called you, you should be willing to go. If he hasn't called you, you should be willing to say, Lord, here am I, use me here. Allow me to be a laborer in this harvest. 
As we close, I remind you the, the enemy of the harvest is short-sightedness. And the fact that Jesus said, lift up your eyes, uh, shows us how easy it is to, uh, to become short-sighted, to have our eyes pulled to those things that uh, we looked at earlier, whether it be uh, vain pursuits or it be uh, cares of this life or uh, whatever it is that has our attention, whatever temporal thing it is, it is easy for us. Those are the things that we can actually see here with our physical eye. And so it's easy for us to have our attention pulled to those things. We may all be guilty of being so absorbed in our own personal circumstances that we then fail to see the harvest as Jesus saw it. Each of us may need then to ask ourselves, where is my focus? Uh, am, am I being short-sighted or have I truly lifted up my eyes to really see the harvest? I would challenge you to start living for eternity rather than tomorrow. To make God's values your values. And God values nothing more in this world than the souls of men and women. We must be faithful in this. I'll share this story and we'll be done. There's a, a young, successful American businessman who uh, sat in a missions conference in his a home of Baptist church. And he listened to the missionary pleading for God's people to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. And so this uh, young man, he goes to the altar to pray that, that prayer, essentially. And uh, he uh, tells on uh, personally, how he had longed to be a missionary from even from a younger age. He he'd watched other missionaries and he wanted to do that, but uh, he never felt that God had called him, nor did he feel that he was uh, the most capable candidate or even really a capable candidate for the job. He didn't feel he would be able to actually do it. Uh, and so he goes, uh, he goes on to tell on how his church had actually been praying this prayer for a year. They uh, had uh, caught on to a vision to, to be able to send somebody from their own church. They supported a lot of other churches' missionaries. They were happy to do that. They wanted to continue to do that. Uh, however, they wanted an even bigger investment in this harvest. And so uh, they wanted to send somebody from themselves. And so they had uh, challenged the church to pray this prayer for a year. And... Now as uh, this young man goes uh, forward to pray again, uh, pray this prayer, uh, he became unable to pray it any further until he answered the question that came to his heart, what about you? Yeah. He tried again to pray, not believing he was a capable canon, not believing that he would be able to actually do the job. So he begins to pray again that God would send laborers into a great and needy fields of the world and he found himself unable to pray as the question hung heavy in his heart, what about you? He concluded finally that he would never be able to pray that prayer again until he answered the call himself. And so he told the Lord, if you want me, I'll go wherever you send me at any cost. He ultimately ended up selling his business and he became a missionary to Africa. He and his wife then went on to start 37 churches. Sometimes people, I think people are afraid to pray, here am I, send me, because uh, they are afraid that God might exact too much from them or uh, because uh, they might be called upon to sacrifice more than they're willing to give. Uh, people are afraid to pray, here am I, send me, because what if God actually decided to send them? 
If you ask the man in that story uh, if he had any regrets, he'll tell you that the greatest work in the world is the harvest of God's fields. So as we close, I ask you, what about you? Are you willing to answer this call into the harvest? I'm not asking if you're willing to go to a foreign field necessarily. I, in a sense, I am. Are you willing to do whatever it is God has called you to do? In whatever aspect, he wants you to be a laborer in this field. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to answer this call? Are you willing to say, here am I, send me? I ask you to look at yourselves, look at your own heart, and truly ask yourselves, where is your vision? Where is your focus? Are you looking at the temporal? Are you looking at the here and now? Are you looking at the vain pursuits or the, the cares of this life? Or are you having difficulty giving those into God's hands? Or have you truly lifted up your eyes to see the harvest as Jesus saw it? The Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. What do we see when we see the harvest? When we see the lost around us, do we look at them with condemnation or do we look with them out of the heart that Christ had for love? Do we, do we seek to be the faithful witness that we've been called to be? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.